0: Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, there is a long list of bad things and things corrupt people love in our passage. What two things does Paul say they do not love? Two, what is so disturbing about the people mentioned in verse five? Three, we are sinners surrounded by sinners all the time. But why should we avoid really bad people who pretend to love God? 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. (coughs) Almighty God, we do thank you for your word. And when we hear your word read, we know that your word demands full attention. And Lord, as we turn to your word being preached, we ask that you would help us to be attentive as well. Lord, that you would please be with the preacher, that the words of this message would be sanctified by you and used in the lives of all of us who will hear and need to hear. And so send your Holy Spirit in a special way to all hearers this morning as well. Minister to us, we pray, by your word and by your spirit. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're waiting for the things in the list in our passage to happen, you are not a student of history, and you haven't been paying attention to the world around you if you're waiting for these things to happen. If you're starting to observe that these things are happening around you right now, just now, And you think that means that Jesus is coming back any moment, I simply ask you to step back. You think that just because things right now are getting so bad that that Jesus is coming at any moment, then I ask you to step back and be patient. I can definitely say for sure that the return of Christ and the fullness of his kingdom is closer now than it was yesterday. It will be closer tomorrow than it is today but understand that that is all in God's timing. In some ways, nothing's new under the sun. We recognize these sins from the beginning of time, and yet we see times when they seem to be full-blown. It seems to me that we are in those times. Passage says that these last days will be times of difficulty. That word is really... Too weak, the phrase perilous times actually works better. Perilous times, greatly troubling times. The godlessness that described that's described here brings danger to people. It brings danger to cultures. It brings danger to the church, who is in the midst of it but also is dealing with some of these things within its own self. And one of the main problems that we discover in our passage is that it's often couched in spirituality, if not couched in a veil of Christianity. Paul warns Timothy of the imminent increase of open depravity of a particularly disturbing kind, that which packages itself as spiritual and as godly. The warnings for us as well, throughout the ages, this corruption with a form of spiritual justification, certainly was true among the false teachers that Paul is immediately addressing here, but it's also true of all those who follow their teaching. Paul says that these things are going to be in the last days. And we need to understand that the last days began, you can say, either at the incarnation of Christ or the ascension of Christ. And we will be in the last days until the return of Christ. I say that because Timothy needed to understand how to deal with the very things Paul is talking about in his day. In the present is the way Paul puts it. He needs to deal with things then. And things like this will need to be dealt with throughout history. And certainly down to our day. It's not to say that there aren't times where there's more intensity of these kinds of things. At times and in certain places. But it's especially troublesome when things are aflame. I have not spoken to a Christian in the last number of years who has not observed an increase in godlessness in our own culture, in our own country. So these things are relevant to us. Timothy needed to know how to face it in his day, and as the gospel spreads, the church needed to know how to deal with it throughout the ages, and so do we. And we shouldn't be surprised at the increase in godlessness. Sin is real. Sin is real, and we need to deal with it and not deny it. And so this depravity is anticipated. It's, it's a damnable litany that Paul gives here in this passage. And it's not a comprehensive list, but if you take this list and parse it out, understand it, and see the implications and the results of these practices, you will see that it covers just about every sin under the sun. But before we look around... Before we look around and say, yeah, I see it here and there and everywhere, pointing to easy targets and examples, we really do need to begin with ourselves. And so we need to examine ourselves when we come across things like this. And so what I'd like to do first is to read in plain English what's said here, and it may seem rather slow to you, but as an exercise of self-examination. And I'll point out now that there is an awful lot about love and what we love and what we don't love in this passage. But check, we got to check our hearts. And where we see anything that smacks of anything, of any of these things in our lives, we need to repent before God. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. As God's people, we need to make sure that we are seeking continued sanctification. It is a battle and maybe you recognize some of these things in yourself. And that's where the battle is. It is in our souls and the battle needs to be surrendered in the presence of God in repentance. And the real question is who do you love? Who do you love the most? Who do you love the most? It's interesting that we think of self-love, and we think of loving our neighbors, and we think of loving God, and those are pretty fair categories. And there's a right kind of love in each one of those categories. I mean, you're supposed to love yourself, not in a self-centered way. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to take care of yourself. You're not going to be concerned about your own souls. Certainly, we're to love our neighbors. Certainly... The commandment tells us to love God and then our neighbors as ourselves. So so love is a big part of this. The question is, who do we love the most? Conversely, all of these sins are damaging to self. And they're damaging to neighbors and they're damaging to our relationship with God. And so certainly if we recognize any of this, it's fair game for repentance. So that's plain English. But now let's examine these things a little closer. Again, an issue of, of what is being loved here. There's this terrible corruption, distortion, redefining of love. And if you were to look at the words in the Greek here, you'd see repeated philo, love. And you'd also see that little word a ah, or a that makes things negative. And so I want to let the words speak for themselves. Spoke, I trust, in plain English, now in plain Greek, if there is such a thing. Just a couple of the words, I think it's significant. Philautos, lovers of self. Lovers of self, that's the bad kind of love, self-centered, self-serving love. philarguros i love this one because it's it's the word for love and then it's the word for silver love of money love of stuff that kind of love is the root of all kinds of evil here's a negative astorgos heartless without a heart Here's one. Diabolos. Sound familiar? Slanderers. Accusers. Devil. One commentator says, if you're practicing this diabolos, you're being devils to one another. Ah, Negative again. Without self control. Ah, <clears throat> philagathos. Not loving good. Hostile to virtue. And a despiser of all that's good and all those who are good. Philadonis. Lover of pleasure. That's a combination of the word love and hedon. Hedonistic. Philotheos. This is a negative. Not lovers of God. And that sums it all up. It is interesting to me what such people don't love. They don't love what is good and they don't love God. And Paul warns Timothy that he's going to see this with increased intensity. Ramped up, open and unashamed. Tell me you're not seeing that all around you. But here's the thing, it's wrapped in piety. Piety redefined. In a subtle way, good people, so-called good people with bad principles. In a radical way, those who call good evil and evil good. And we see all of that around us. And the phraseology there is that they have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. The word behind appearance there is is the word where we get the word morph. They've morphed themselves into pious looking people. They have the appearance of pious people, they have pious faces. So to speak, they appear to be god- godly, angelic, big smiles, but devils at heart. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Hypocrites, showing themselves as religion, maybe with big fancy hats. There are plenty of others whose agenda seems pious. A worldly sense of piety to the point where if they are promoting what's evil because you believe in what's good, you're the bad guy. You're the bad guy. Makes you feel guilty if you don't embrace the agenda of godlessness. But the point here is that somehow it's couched and covered in goodness and godliness when it has zero to do with the gospel. Zero to do with the gospel. Lying tongues, pious faces lying tongues denying the power of the gospel, denying the fact that it is through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that people are brought from death to life. Reconciled to the true and living God. It's a denial of the saving power of the gospel. It's also a denial of the life-changing, transformative, sanctifying power of the gospel. That people need to change if they're sinners. It denies that. It denies the true power of the gospel that that doesn't allow people who love God to lovingly embrace the things on our list and all the implications. In other words, it's a gross inconsistency to pretend to be godly, claiming to love God when you love sin. You see, the true power of God changes hearts. Death to life, as I said. Well, we live in a broken world with sin all around us. Certainly, sin in us. Again, that's where much of our own personal battle lies. We live in a broken world. We have broken family members, we have broken friends, we have broken neighbors. We live in a world of sin, and we are not to cut ourselves off from this world and cloister ourselves. We are not to do that. They are humans made in the image of God, bound in sin, bound in depravity, and they need the gospel. But that said, if we discover that their attitudes and actions, including their religious beliefs, if we find that those things are infectious, presented with a smile, presented as godly, if we find them affecting us, we need to avoid them. That's what Paul says, avoid such people. They're corrosive, they're corruptive, they're influential. Avoid bad company. And it would almost seems like a random statement in the middle of a chapter on the resurrection, Paul says, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It's a true truth. If you let people rub off on you, if you start to cater to them, if you start to compromise, you will be corrupted. But these particular folks are particularly bad they have great influence it says that they they get into homes they worm their way into homes among them for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women etc they worm their way into homes they creep into homes and My thought is that it was very literal back then. You can picture them going into a house and sitting down in the living room, if they had living rooms back then, and and promoting their ways and promoting their falsehood. Well, the devil just refines his ways along with technology. So one way that he would get his message into people later, maybe not sitting down in the living room, but through writing, then through radio, and now through TV, and now through the internet. There are entire stations on television cable dedicated to charlatans that get into people's households very easily, deceiving people for their own gain. And here, Paul mentions weak women. They're vulnerable, but they're also culpable. They're they're driven by something inside them. I say they're vulnerable, especially I would guess many, many single women, especially in that day, and especially widows who were vulnerable. But I would guess, and I couldn't find statistics on that, but when you look at where most of the money that goes to charlatans on TV comes from, my well-educated guess would be from widows and widowers sending money to false teachers. But whatever the case is, they worm their way in and these weak women, in this case, in specific, buy the package. The thing is, all kinds of people fall for this stuff for their tricks i'm afraid that that these people and others in ephesus did have great influence paul had warned about wolves coming in we've looked at that before there's all kinds of false teaching and certainly there was a ton of pagan teaching but but then as christianity began to grow it was this Thing, this form of godliness but denying the very power of the gospel and it seems to have had such an impact that by the time we look from heaven's perspective on the church of ephesus and revelation i have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first you've loved everything but god you've loved everything but that which is good And that's the result. Well, Paul gives two sobering examples. If you looked for these names in your Bible, you will not find them. If you know your Bible well, you're probably scratching your head saying, who are these two men? Tradition has it, Targum's, the Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament, and even pagan writings have these two men as being As being Pharaoh's magicians, two of them. And if you want to learn more about them and their ways and the way that they're undone, you have to come to the evening service because we're in this very place in Exodus, lo and behold. But you remember Pharaoh's magicians who who are contending not so much with Moses, though they are, but they're contending with Yahweh, Almighty God, with their trickery and their magic. mimicking even some of God's miracles until they couldn't do it anymore. And there had this form of small God, small G godliness, up against Jehovah God who'd be exalted. God said through the plagues that I'm doing this, that they would know, that God's people would know, but Egypt would also know that Yahweh is. Jehovah God is the one God over all. That will prevail. That's the positive side of this. With all this mess, with all this corruption, note God will be glorified and Jesus will be exalted. These two examples. Turns out that they were exposed as frauds clearly exposed. And again, just like in Exodus, all foolishness, all corruption will be exposed for what it is, and God will be exalted, and Jesus Christ will be praised. But these men and their likes and those who follow them, it said that they are disqualified, disqualified regarding the faith. That which they claim as their godliness doesn't count. Doesn't count. Their folly will be plain to all. That word folly there? Ah, noose. Without a mind. Stupid, we might say. Their stupidity in the most biblical of senses, I know for some that's a bad word. It's in the Bible. Their stupidity will be plain to all. What fools? To contend with God and to pretend to be godly. This is a call to us, to be dutiful in our pursuit of our faith. Stand fast. As a church, to be a dutiful church, standing fast on the truth as individuals, we need to concern ourselves with ourselves. (laughs) That phrase, you worry about you. Concern yourself with where your heart is and where your love lies and with a combination of a church that's not willing to compromise with the world and people who are striving for godliness we will influence the world around us much as they might resist much as we might not see with our eyes progress will have influence but here's the thing we cannot must not be influenced by it have nothing to do with them well This might all seem so gloomy, but again, it's an opportunity. We see this in around us. It's an opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine. Because the only way out of a mess in a culture or in the lives of individuals is the true power of God and the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of godliness. This broken, sinful world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the church and true Christians aren't going to stand firm on it, there's not much hope. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to be His church, to be His people, to know that our hope isn't in this world, but our hope is in Him and His everlasting kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. For the precision of it. Lord, for us, if we see anything in any of these sins that have been listed lurking in our hearts and our lives, Lord, we... We pray that we would grieve those things, repent of those things, and replace them with things that are towards you, that love you, that love neighbor, that are even good for our own souls. The fruit of the Spirit and all those wonderful things that you give your people. Lord, we stand amazed here if we're in Christ that the very power that's denied by some The resurrection power of jesus the life-changing power the holy spirit is at work in our lives we're amazed and so lord we pray that you would help us to pursue the things that you love we pray that for our church as well help us to stand fast lord we know that we live in a world filled in darkness so many in the grips of the evil one so many mesmerized by an angel who comes as an angel a devil who comes as an angel of light deceiving people and being deceived through false teachers lord we pray that you would